the ICC Imara podcast. Here at ICC Imara, we're all about connecting people to God and to each other, challenging believers to Christ-likeness, and changing the world. From wherever you're listening, we hope you'll be encouraged by this message. Good morning, a new day that the Lord has made. He has said it is good and we look forward to it as we begin a new series named Generation. And in this um, series, we are going to hear from God, from His Word, and His um, purpose for generations, how He looks at generations, why we live in the generations that we live in, and um, what is it that God wants to do through generations? I was looking uh, for the definition of a generation, and I came across this definition that a generation is a group of people born around the same time and raised around the same place. People in this birth cohort exhibit similar characteristics, preferences, and values over their lifetimes. Very, very interesting definition. And then Wikipedia uh, says uh, that uh, generation is all of the people born and living at the same time regarded collectively. And the average period generally considered uh, to be about 30 years. Uh, those are the people who are, uh, you know, clustered in the same generation, during which children are born and grow up and begin to have children of their own. Very, very, very interesting. And um, I wanted to educate myself. I hope uh, you also get educated with me on how the world considers uh, generations uh, today and um, uh, what are the different generations. So uh, traditionists or the silent generation is that generation of 1945 and before. God bless each one of them. Then we have the baby boomers, 1946 to 1964. Then we have Generation X, which are the guys that were born between 1965 and 1976. You know yourself, you know where you belong. Then we have the Merenius. Um, these are the guys who started to embrace technology. Uh, or Generation Y, sometimes they are called, born between 1977 and 1995. I thought that is a bit of a wide range. However, then we have the Generation Z or Z or the I or the Centennial Generation from 1996 uh, to now. Perhaps you may do your own research and find out, uh, you know, about these generations. But what do we mean by generational differences? Why do we have different uh, people clustered in different generations? And there appears to be 
differences uh, in uh, in values uh, you know which uh, different generations uh, look at values and beliefs and opinions uh, between uh, those uh, people groups um, some believe strongly in the differences others uh, believe that uh, you know these generations are are made and um, those uh, believing in the differences are said that they are important to recognize and accommodate, especially in settings having multiple generations, such as in today's workforce. And I think uh, you realize that uh, in, in, in the workforce uh, today, in the people that you're working together, you tend to have different perceptions depending on different age groups. Sometimes uh, these are uh, the sets of conflicts uh, even within uh, families or within organizations because we tend to look at things uh, differently. So what do we mean by that, that kind of generational uh, difference? Um, I looked at Wikipedia and uh, it gives us a useful def definition that can contribute to our understanding of this definition. And the definition is of a generational gap. And perhaps you have heard people talk about the generational gap. It's a phrase that is often used when you are referring to generational differences. And say that a generation gap or generational gap is a, different of, a difference of opinions between one generation and another regarding beliefs, regarding values, regarding politics, regarding many things, they tend to view things differently because they are born and raised in different times. So um, we may ask ourselves, what are the perceived differences? And the general generational um, uh, difference, uh, you know, gives uh, um, uh, different comparisons on um, why are there you know, these differences. And there are four categories uh, uh, that, that, that we can look at um, in um, the, the, these perceived uh, differences. The traditionists uh, value workplaces are that uh, they are conservative, uh, they believe in hierarchy and have a clear chain of command, they think uh, top-down. That's their kind of management if you are looking at, uh, at a work environment. Um, the baby boomers value uh, workplaces, and I'm talking about workplaces because this is where we tend to spend most of our time, and these are the people we interact with. The baby boomers value workplaces that have flat hierarchies. You know, they believe in democratic culture and um, humane values. They will talk about equal opportunities. They will talk about warm and friendly environment as opposed to, to the traditionists. How about Generation X? Uh, they value workplaces that are positive. They want fun. These are the guys who have music playing as they do their work. Efficient, fast-paced. Uh, they are flexible, informal, uh, dressing down, uh, having access to leadership and information. I think today I'm Generation X. And then uh, the Millennials, um, uh, who value workplaces that are collaborative, uh, they talk about uh, achievement-oriented, highly creative, positive, and diverse guys. They love to have fun. They are flexible. And uh, they want uh, an environment that is continuously giving them uh, feedback. And then Forbes adds that uh, Generation Z is motivated by security. 
may be more competitive. They want independence. We are multitask. These are the guys who want to do a hustle and they're employed and they have other things that they are doing. They are more entrepreneurial. Um, they want to communicate face-to-face. -face. Um, they are very, very digital and um, they always want to be catered for. Very, very interesting observations. But I want us to look at the biblical approach to generations. And uh, the book of Genesis chapter 5, verse 1 to 32, is a chapter that is dedicated to the history of Adam to Noah and how the human race is interconnected. Before sin entered the world, God desired that men keep fellowship uh, with him and, uh, and with one another. And we are created in the image of God. God has created us as he is, but uh, we, we, we need to work out on our relationship and particularly because of sin, it came to bring the division that is there in our relationship between us and God and even between us and one another. And some of the things that bring generational gaps are issues to do with age, race, language, and values, class, etc. And uh, I want us to begin this series by looking at where I believe generations begin, and that is within the family. And you and I will agree that uh, families are not always perfect. They are, it is not always the go-to place where you expect that, um, uh, you know, your families will be the, the comfortable place Perhaps uh, you have, uh, you know it better. You, you, you have had issues with your brothers, sisters, uncles, people who you think should be very, very close uh, to you. But I want us to look at uh, the family of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we will look at what kind of people were in the family of Jesus. And perhaps this will help us to understand about generations and to understand what is expected of us uh, from God, uh, considering that families are not always uh, perfect. So I want us to read um, the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 1 to 17, which is not, uh, it's not a chapter that we often read. Uh, you know, we look at the names and we bypass it and we go to what we think is the good content. But allow me to read uh, with us uh, Matthew, chapter 1. Verse 1 to 17. And this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We begin to see who are in the family of Jesus. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his, uh, and his uh, uh, brothers. And then we see Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nahashan, and Nahashan was the father of Salmon, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rehab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And David himself was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. 
Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah, the father of Shetio, Shetio, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Eriakim, Eriakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Ehud, Elihud, the father of Eriaza, Eriaza, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Verse 17, thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. May ask yourself, why do we need to know about these people? And in a bit, you will see the composition of this family. And the, uh, the scriptures uh, speak of uh, the generations uh, from Abraham to David and David to the people of Israel from exile to uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. And Matthew traces for us the genealogy of Jesus all the way back to Abraham. But uh, Luke even does it better. If you read for yourself Luke uh, chapter 3, you will find uh, from verse 23 to 37, Luke uh, traced it back all the way to Adam. And this tells us that the race of man is interconnected, that we all belong to the same people. But uh, there are differences that have come because of sin, because of uh, differences, because of values, because of uh, language, because of so many other things that uh, we have considered. And that is what has largely created even the generational gaps uh, that we talk about. When we come into the modern world, of course, we add uh, so many other things. But how can we make a difference in our generation? I think that is the key thing for us to ask ourselves, how can we make a difference in our generation? Or how can we be the generation that will make a difference in the world? Because God has created us for change. He has created us for influence, and we have been talking about it. He has called us his co-workers. How is it that we can be able to bridge the gap between generations, to, bring, uh, to bridge the gap between a people and we all become a people that are created by God in his own image for his purpose only without, uh, you know, serving our own purpose. And uh, for me, the beginning of every generation is within the family. And I believe that if we can be able to 
anchor the family and lay a good foundation, if we can be able to find a good footing in the family, then that generational gap that exists because of so many other things will be largely closed and we will be able to work together and we will become the different, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the, uh, the generation that will make a difference in the world because of what the Lord himself has done for us. He has worked in our hearts. So family is the first place that we can make a difference in the, in the world. So our world begins with the world of family. Now, in the scriptures that we have read, Matthew records all these people in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ or the generations that are within the family of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things that you will find if you read about the stories of each of these people is that they were not perfect people. And families are not composed of perfect people. They were in fact, all of them were sinners. It's only by the grace of God that made the difference, uh, uh, you know, for them to appear in this list. Yet, they are recorded as the generations or the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ. So how is it that God did not choose perfect people so that Jesus can belong to a generation or a family of the perfect you know, God's plan has always been to work uh, through families. And it is uh, God who changes the heart of families, individuals within the families who are not perfect, people who are, uh, you know, opposed even to the kingdom of God. And he brings them to be his witnesses, even though they are not perfect. And uh, we ourselves know this very clearly, that we don't come from perfect families. We ourselves are not perfect. Of course, we always see the others are the ones who are not perfect, and we are good, and they are the bad ones. But the truth is this, that all of us, and we will see in a bit, are not perfect. So the important thing for us to understand is that uh, even though families are not perfect, they matter to God. Families matter to God. Your family matters to God, even though living with them and accepting them may be a little bit of a mess. It is not easy. You yourself, you are not easy to get along with. You know yourself very well. But by the grace of God, God is able to bring families together and he is able to help us overcome the challenges that exist between us. And one of the challenges that we face uh, for those of us um, who are blessed uh, to have uh, children is raising them because we are imperfect. We uh, raise uh, our children sometimes uh, based on how we were raised up. And it becomes a challenge raising children, particularly in the generations uh, that uh, we are in. The world we live in has its own values and it has promoted those values to the extent of influencing even the Christian values that are biblically recorded. The book of Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 1 says, A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son brings grief to his mother. Again, in chapter 17 of the book of Proverbs 25 says that a foolish son brings grief to his father and bitterness to the one who bore him. 
It just tells you like from the beginning, and we cannot be of the same generation with our children. There will always be differences, but how do we narrow these gaps so that we can have generations that are interconnected, that hold the same values in the Lord Jesus Christ? So some of us have been uh, through grief and difficult times with our children. Some of us, uh, if we were to be honest and to look at ourselves, we were a great grief to our parents. We were not easy to bring up. We complain about our children, but we ourselves were not uh, perfect. In the book of Luke chapter 2, verse 41 to 50, there is a beautiful story that is uh, recorded uh, there. And this is a story about the annual visitation to the temple of Jerusalem by the parents of Jesus when Jesus was 12 years old. And they, he was taken to the temple, and when they went to the temple, Jesus decided to hang around, and the parents took you know, journey back home, but Jesus was not with them. So for three days, there was agony in the family of Joseph and Mary because Jesus was nowhere to be seen and nobody knew where Jesus was. Of course, we know that Jesus was left, you know, for good reason. He wanted to do what his father called him to do, but uh, he caused agony to his uh, parents and Joseph and Mary were looking everywhere. Maybe they had even put his... Uh, uh, you know, picture on Facebook, have you seen this, uh, this child? And if you see him, report uh, to the police station in Jerusalem as soon as, uh, as you see him. And when they, they, they found him, they traced him back to the temple. Listen to what his mother Mary asked. He asked her, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I sought you anxiously. He caused anxiety in the family. Now, Jesus, of course, uh, meant, uh, meant good. And we know his response. Uh, you know, he was uh, doing uh, the, his father, the heavenly father's work. And, uh, but I'm bringing this story for just to, show, to demonstrate to us some of the challenges that we can go through as families. And we need to remember that ourselves, we are not uh, perfect. And we need to ask our Lord to give us wisdom and guidance on how we can make changes in the family and to begin to accept uh, the change in the generations that we have within the sphere of influence uh, that God has given us. How is it that we can begin to narrow these gaps? The book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 to 32, Paul says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, and along with every form of malice. He says, be kind and compassionate with one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgive you. You know, many of us, we look at ourselves as the perfect people. And we have a whole lot of load of things to say about our families. We can write books about our families. We, we, we look at them as the people who have caused us agony. But uh, look at what Paul Father goes on to say in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. We like these scriptures when we are having weddings. And it says, wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. For the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, 
his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Why is Paul writing to wives? Why should there be an issue here? And I know this is something that even up to today, there is a big debate. It is looked at as oppression, etc. But look at uh, the comparison that is being given here. And it's, uh, you know, between the, the, the husband and in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. That The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And we will see in a minute what is expected of the husband. And this is the relationship that I'm talking about that we need to start harnessing as families so that we can narrow these generational gaps. Ephesians 5.25 now speaks to the husbands and it says to the husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and give himself up for her, meaning sacrifice, meaning surrender, meaning that everything that I am belongs to my wife and I must give myself over to my wife to the point of uh, surrendering my wife for her sake. This is a very, very high call. Of course, this is what is going to generate uh, the, the submission that I expect from my wife. But because of sin and because of our nature, this is not an area that we are prepared to work on. God has told us these things because he cares about families. We are given the story of the genealogy of Jesus for us to understand and to see that even his own family was not perfect. So your family matters to God. And his ultimate plan for us is to be part of his family, the church, the church of Jesus Christ. That is why Jesus had to pay such a costly price to buy the family of God so that our sins can be forgiven. It is an effort by the Lord Jesus Christ to bridge the gap that existed between us in our relationship with God. And so the change that we desire to see in the world must begin with our families. We are going to make a difference in the world, but we must make a difference in the family itself. We will not have an impact in the world if we do not practice genuine love and tolerance within the family circles. And it is a high calling. So how do we manage this? My answer to you is through God's grace. Because some of us cannot be loved. There are some of our brothers and our sisters that it's not easy to love. But by God's grace, what is recorded in the book of Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 to 17 about the genealogy of Jesus is nothing when we interrogate who these people are but grace. And this is what we expect and we should ask of from God grace within our families so that we can be able to, to tolerate one another so that we can be able to create the family that Jesus Christ himself intended from the beginning. So the first grace that we experience in this chapter is Matthew himself. He was a tax collector, a corrupt guy, but he is the one that the Lord chose to write this chapter, redeemed by the grace of God, a follower of Jesus Christ, the one who has given us the account of, uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ through this first gospel. And secondly, the others, there are four mothers that are recorded here. And these other mothers, <laughs> very interesting, and you will see who these people are. In verse 3, we see a woman named Tamal. Uh, 
and uh, Tamar, we are told she begot uh, Perez and Zerah by Judah. Now, what we need to understand is that Judah was not Tamar's husband, but was her father-in-law. Can you believe it? This is the genealogy of Jesus, that Judah was the father-in-law of Tamar. If you read the book of Genesis chapter 38, the Lord killed Tamar's husband. His name was Er because he was a wicked man in the sight of the Lord. And Er's brother called Onan was supposed to inherit her to, to provide an heir for his dead brother. But he refused to take her and the Lord killed him also. So Judah, who was her father-in-law, promised her promised Tamar that uh, I am going to raise uh, my third son who was young at that time and she, he is going to be your husband. But Judah reneged on his promise later on. Do you know what uh, Tamar did? She pretended to be a prostitute and she seduced uh, her father-in-law Judah and they had twin sons uh, by her father-in-law. And these two sons now are the ones that we are talking about, Perez and Zerah, that they are in the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the circumstances that they were born in. They are in the lineage of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go to verse 5. You will find Salmon, who begot Boaz by Rehab. Now, Rehab herself, we know her story in the book of Joshua, chapter 2. She was a prostitute. But in Joshua chapter 2, she began to fear God and she protected the two spies that Joshua had sent to Jericho. And God protected Rahab and her family. And now, by the grace of God, we find Rahab in the genealogy of Jesus. Again, in verse 5, we find Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. And though Ruth was a good wife, she was a good woman, but she came from the Moabites who originated from a scene of incest. Listen to this. The Moabites originated, they are the generation of um, uh, between Lot and his daughter's incest. You remember Lot uh, slept with his daughter. And the Lord had commanded in Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 3, he had said an Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter the congregation of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, none of his descendants shall enter the congregation of the Lord forever. But Ruth found grace in the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. Maybe you're looking at yourself and you're asking yourself, uh, you know, do I matter? Look at what God has done for Ruth, belonging to uh, 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 a generation that came out from an incest relationship. David himself, in verse 6, was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now we know that Uriah's wife was Bathsheba, and she also found grace uh, you know, in the eyes of God, even though this was an adulterous relationship. So God mentions these women. Why? Because he wants us to understand the power of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is not about who you are. It is not about who your brothers are. It is about what God has done. And he wants us to understand that every soul matters to God. 
and everyone, each one of us uh, can be saved. You know, lives can be changed if we love and value our families. And this is what God is asking of us, that we should value each other. We should love one another, irrespective of our flaws, because there are many. I am aware that some of your brothers and sisters, or even your children, that, you, you, you know, uh, are in your family. You hold them in contempt, and you don't like them at all because of the things that they have done. Uh, you know, but I want you to understand that God values uh, them because uh, he has a purpose uh, for them. Many of them, these people that you hold in contempt, are destined for greatness because our God is a way maker. And Jesus' love is wide. It is wide enough to reach out to everybody. There is no greater love than the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. He himself speaks in John 15 and verse 3, and he says, Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Friends, I am telling you, we are not perfect. We are not a perfect generation. But the gap between us can be narrowed because our Lord Jesus Christ recognizes that we are not perfect. We, in fact, are rebels. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, the scripture says that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. But our Lord Jesus Christ has good news for us. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Just so that I balance it, I look uh, uh, quickly at the men in the genealogy uh, and you will see they are not better. Uh, any better. Verse 2, Jacob himself, who is in the genealogy of Jesus, was a deceiver. He tricked his uh, brother Esau of his birthright and his inheritance. Chapter 2 and 3, again, Judah himself, he, he, he helped uh, to sell his brother Joseph into slavery. In Genesis chapter 37, verse 26 and 27, actually says that it was Judah's idea to sell Joseph into slavery. We can talk about David. He committed adultery with Bathsheba and, her, you know, and murdered her husband. Look at the people who are in the genealogy of Jesus. Look at this generation. It is filled by unworthy men and women. But God's, by God's grace, they are counted worthy. I'm telling you that God is able to redeem your family. He is able to redeem you. He is able to use you. He is able to bring you into the generation of those who have received the grace of God. And now God is using them for a good reason and for a good thing. And I want to encourage you, don't look down on yourself. Don't look at your history. Don't talk about our families composed of people who are like this and like uh, the other. But listen to this. The kingdom of God is for us all. We have an opportunity to be used of God because we are imperfect people made perfect by the Lord Jesus Christ. And God can use us to save generation, not by judging them by their character, race, tribe, class, language, and all the other things that, uh, uh, you know, we use to prejudice um, but we can know that God has a plan for each one of us and he loves each and every one of us and he can use any of us because his kingdom belongs to us all. We are not in the generation we are in by chance, but uh, to make a difference starting with our families of what God wants to take generations. 
And we are hearing this message today because God wants to use us because we are the ones that have received the grace of God to live in this generation. And if we surrender ourselves to God, He is going to use this generation to change the world, to bring hope to the world because we have embraced the Lord Himself. We have looked at the Word of God and we have said we want to be part of it. It doesn't matter what generation we are in. If we look at our families and if we respect them, despite the flaws that they may have, God is going to come into your family. He is going to connect you back with your brother, with your sisters, with your parents. God is going to start working in your family if you only could surrender, if you stop despising your brothers, if you start praying for them, if you stop looking at the injustices and the things that have happened within the family and say, you know what, God, I accept this family you have given to me. I accept my husband. I accept my wife, I accept my brothers, my sisters, my parents, whoever is in your families, the uncles that you're fighting with. If you decide that I am going to surrender this family to God, then God is going to change things because of your surrender and you will become part of a great generation, like generation mentioned in the Lord Jesus Christ, because there is one within this generation that surrenders themselves to the Lord. So in conclusion, I pray that we be a purpose to make a difference in our generation, that we shall pursue our purpose in God's plan. Because each one of us, God has a plan for each one of us. If we could love our families, if we could go forward by God's grace to trust God, to pursue the purposes of our lives that God wants to use us. We have work to do in our generation and we should not waste it in squabbles and quarrels within the families, but we should do everything by God's grace in our effort to bring our families together so that we can become a generation that is going to go into the history books that we made a difference in the world because we forego all the things that, uh, uh, you know, we can claim and surrender ourselves to God so that he can use us. May the Lord help you even as you consider and pray for your family because it's a great family and God wants to use it and you will be the first person to surrender yourself to God and you will be amazed on what God can do for you through your family. Amen. Now I want to pray for you. I want to make a quick prayer for you. I pray that there will be reconciliation in families. I pray that it will begin with you by changing your life, by considering yourself as, uh, as, as the one that needs to change, by surrendering yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he is going to use you to bring peace, to bring justice and hope within your family because you have given yourself over to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this prayer is for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we surrender ourselves to you. Father, many times we have judged members of our families and we have looked at them and we have seen them as the ones that have brought the differences that sometimes we see in our families. Forgive us, O Lord God, and we pray that you will help us, that we will be the ones that will first surrender 
for the sake of this generation, for the sake of the salvation of men and women, for the sake of changing the world, that we, we shall be the ones that are, are going to decrease and allow your work to, to, to happen within our families. So forgive us, O Lord God, where we have uh, put ourselves first and we have not considered those uh, that you have given to us as members of our families. And I want to pray for you. You have not given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be of no value to others if yourself you do not have a heart that surrenders. And I want to make this prayer for you, that let this be the beginning of a new relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, would you pray this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, I realize that I am a sinner and I surrender myself to you. Change me by forgiving my sins and help me through your grace to love others because you have first loved me. I embrace the power of the cross and from today I believe in you as my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. for listening. We hope this message has blessed you. If this ministry has impacted your life, you can help us reach others by partnering with us. You can give through our website iccimara.org slash give. Be sure to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Have a great week.